Well, good morning to everyone here today and to all of you that are watching us online as well. My name is Paul Muma. I'm the lead pastor for Genesis, and we are so glad that you joined us for services today. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to John chapter 3. Uh, if you use a Bible app, uh, you can open the app and go there with us now. We're actually going to start in John 2, right at the very end of it, but we're going to spend most of our time uh, in John chapter 3 this morning. For over 300 years, uh, explorers from around the globe were fixated on the potential of finding a water route that would connect the Atlantic Ocean or the eastern United States to the west or to the mighty Pacific. And the U.S. was a big player in this exploration, um, uh, especially in light of the Louisiana Purchase. And, and Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson, commissioned two men, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark to, to assemble a team and to begin the journey of finding such a water route. Uh, well, Lewis and Clark were great candidates for this uh, exploration, for this discovery for many reasons. One of the things that stands out is that they were experts in water navigation. And it was the opinion of many that while canoeing the Missouri River upstream or uphill, if you would, would come with plenty of challenges, that once they hit the continental divide in the middle of the United States, that they would portage their canoe a very short distance, connect with the Columbia River, and then it would be an easy float downstream to the mighty Pacific. Mighty Pacific. But were they surprised uh, that after many months of travel, they arrived at the Continental Divide not to find the Columbia River, but this, the Rocky Mountains. And they had heard stories of such mountains, but keep in mind their frame of reference, the only mountains they had ever seen and experienced were the Appalachians. And the Rockies were so different with their great peaks, the snow-capped mountains as far as the eyes uh, could see. And again, they had never seen anything like this before. And so right away, Lewis and Clark and their team, they had to come to terms with a couple of really important things. First of all, was that there was no easy passage from the east to the west, to the, to the mighty Pacific. But secondly, is that while they had planned to navigate the West by canoeing, they first and must now learn how to traverse these mountains. If you've ever gone through a major life event before, uh, maybe a crisis in your family, you've, you've learned that some things had to change. You had to learn to do life a little differently. If you uh, are involved in a business, if you own a company of your own, probably over the last few months, you've had to rethink some things. Uh, how to operate. I, I find the experience of Lewis and Clark here to be similar to what we're witnessing in life right now. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that life up to this point has been all easy and not have some challenges of its own, but it was familiar, wasn't it? Uh, it was familiar for, for me, for, for you, for our church. I mean, I, I think we were all kind of, uh, you know, moving along, finding our way through, and now it just sort of feels like we've run right up against the Rockies, and we got to learn to navigate these mountains that we find ourselves in. I, I suspect that as a church, we have some interesting days ahead of us, uh, trying to navigate all that's going on in our world right now, all that's going on in, in our country, and not just with COVID-19, but with so many other issues too. We're going to have to learn how to navigate these mountains together 
And, and not only as a church, but certainly as followers of Jesus and, and in your families, like this rapidly changing culture is going to impact uh, your life. It's going to impact the way you raise your kids and how you teach and train them. Like you're going to have to learn how to navigate these mountains uh, of this ever-changing culture, whether it be for work or school or, again, just with your friends. And, and I want to offer just a few reminders to us this morning uh, as a church family. I think the first thing is this. We're reminded that we need one another. Uh, the church is made up of people, of many parts, but there's something about being together, being together in community, and so we've got to stay connected, and even if we can't be physically together right now, uh, we need to stay connected in groups and, and through our conversations because Satan would love nothing other than to disassemble or to pull this apart. I think the other thing is this, we, we need to stay focused on our mission as a church. Um, our mission has always been and will always be helping people find their way back to God. Uh, God is not surprised about what we're going through right now. And so we're going to continue to trust him and we're going to remain a part of his great kingdom work so that others will know Jesus Christ. And I'll also add this, that in a world of confusing messages, the word of God needs to be our source of truth. Uh, for all things. It is the only thing that we can rely on. And here's the best news of all. We have a guide. Uh, there is a guide for us. Jesus knows the way through the, the mountains, if you would. Uh, he has everything that we need. And I want each of us to be able to look back together on this season one day and be able to say, do you know what? Yes, it was hard. But I will always point back to the time as that was the season that I grew closer to my Savior than I have ever been before. And that's a big part of the reason why we're doing this Knowing Jesus study right now, because if we're gonna follow Jesus, like we need to do everything that we can to know as much about him as possible. And so for the last five weeks, we've been studying through these key events that take place in the first half of Jesus' ministry. And last week, we looked a little closer at a scene uh, at the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Today is really part two from that same experience. And, and Passover was one of the most important celebrations, still is really, uh, in the Jewish faith, and the holiday commemorates what God did for the Israelites when he delivered them out of slavery from Egypt. And so tens of thousands of people would travel to Jerusalem each year for this Passover celebration, and because Jesus was Jewish, he went to Passover too. And just to bring you up to speed, by the time we get to Passover, Jesus' popularity is increasing, uh, people are oohing and on over his teaching and his signs. In fact, the disciple John records this about what was happening in around Jerusalem at this particular time. He records it in John chapter 2 uh, in verse 23. Look what John records for us. We have this here. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to put uh, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And so people were drawn to Jesus. They were intrigued by him, but it wasn't because they believed in their heart that Jesus was the son of God. And that's what Jesus was after then. And it's certainly what he's after today. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus and Nicodemus today. And here's what I hope, here's what I pray that God is going to do for each and every one of us. I, I pray, I want the Holy Spirit uh, to use this encounter to help us see that in Jesus we have a friend and in Jesus that we do have a guide. But more importantly, I want you to be able to see what God has done for you and for your life through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is going to radically change Nicodemus's life. 
and he wants the same for you, and he wants the same for me. But, but here's where Nicodemus needed help, and here's where some of us might need some help too. Nicodemus believed that it was his responsibility to get his life cleaned up first, and we fall into that trap as well. Like we think we have to perform. We think we've got to live this perfect life, that we've got to live a certain way, or we've got to get things in order before we can get right with God. But that's why this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus is so good, because here's what Jesus, I believe that he wants us to see today, and that is that God accepts you because of what he did for you, not because of what you do for him. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would use this time this morning uh, to help us see the light, to help us see the truth of who you are and what you've accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I know we come with so many questions and so many circumstances and so many things going on in life and around us right now, but I pray that you would use this time to open up every heart and every mind to see you for who you are and what the gift of your son means for each of us today. Uh, speak through me, speak through this time now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so John 3, uh, if you're following along, uh, and here's where we pick up. John records this beginning in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, right away, we learn a couple of things about Nicodemus. First of all, we learn that he was a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees believed that the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, that they were the perfect law of God. And so the Pharisees pledged their lives uh, in trying to excel by living out this law. And following it was, the, in their opinion, the key to things like life and salvation and getting right with God. Add to that, Nicodemus, we learn, was also a ruler of the Jews, which means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a court made up of 70 different officials, sort of like the Supreme Court over all the Jewish people. The big takeaway is this. He was highly intelligent, very respected, uh, and successful. And so why did he come to Jesus? He's got questions. All right, he's trying to answer questions. He's trying to, to figure out life. Um, I think you could say he's trying to navigate his way through the mountains of, of his own spirituality. Like personally, I, I think Nicodemus came to Jesus for help with his own soul. And, and maybe that's where you are today. Uh, maybe that's where you find yourself right now with, with plenty of questions. You've got some hurts of your own that you're trying to work through. You have some fears that you'd like to see the Lord take away and replace with, with faith. Maybe you just simply would say, you know, I believe there has to be more. There has to be more than just one day after another in this world. Well, the truth is that today could be an extremely important day for you and maybe what Jesus has for you today. Now, notice that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and so you could say that he was the very first Nick at night. And if you grew up in the 1900s, you get that joke. Uh, but, but some have wondered if Nicodemus came to Jesus undercover, not wanting to be seen by others. Others think Nicodemus wanted uninterrupted time with him. I think that's what he's after. But if you remember, if you notice there, he calls Jesus rabbi, which means teacher, teacher. 
But it's so much more than that. This is a, a sign of respect. Uh, even Nicodemus acknowledges Jesus coming from God. Like you can see that God has been doing something to prepare Nicodemus' heart for this. Verse three, Jesus replied to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Uh, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely, they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, Jesus, he says very truly, and it's not because he's got this habit of lying or misleading people or anything, but it's his way of emphasizing the truth here. And then, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What's the kingdom of God? Well, I, I think in its simplest form, I would just say it's the gift and the joy of being able to say that you're a part of God's family. Uh, it's, it's the privilege of saying that you belong to him, that you are saved by grace, uh, that you have been forgiven of your sins. It, it, it means that your life has a purpose. Like to be a part of the kingdom of God means that you have hope for, for today. Like we have hope for whatever is to come in, in the future. And I think that's what a big part of what Nicodemus has been searching for. And and at the same time, you know, what so many of us want and desire as well, like we want that peace and we want that confidence and Jesus affirms that it's available. Like the kingdom of God is available to us, but what does he say that we have to do? Did you notice those two words in there? He says, you have to be born again. He says, you have to be born again. Now in the Greek, it's also translated born from above but it's so much more than a fresh start. It's so much more than renewal. It's so much more than a, a better perspective. Like to be born again, to be transformed in that way means that you have been given a new identity. Uh, it means that you have a, a new sense of worth. Again, a, a meaning and purpose that's not from yourself. And, and Jesus says, he says, Nicodemus, like you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And, and you just have to wonder that at this point is Nicodemus like looking at Jesus thinking like, like, are you, like delivery room all over again? Like how, you know, how, how, does, how does that work? But actually it wasn't an unfamiliar concept at all. In fact, it's something that was often discussed in Jewish circles and not only in Jewish circles, but in other faith uh, group circles as well. And so I imagine Nicodemus leaning in at this point. I think he's intrigued. I think he realized that he's getting somewhere with Jesus. But Jesus instead goes on to describe the process. Pick it up in verse five. Jesus answered once again, very truly, again, emphasis, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so what's Jesus getting after here? First, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And then he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Again, what point is Jesus trying to make? Let's see if we can, we can do it this way. How, just by a raised showing of hands, how many of you have ever been born? All right, just get the hands up. Really, this should be a 100% participation today, even for those of you that are watching online. All right, we've all been born before, okay? We've all been there, right? But how much effort, maybe by a show of hands, did you put into being born? 
Really? Like, I mean, it just kind of depends on your perspective or whatever, but really to the point, not much at all. I, I still, I'll, I'll never forget the birth of any of my kids, but I remember the birth of Joel, our, our, our first, you know, and uh, Jenny was having some contractions on this Thursday afternoon and just suspecting that, you know, today could be the day. Well, I had a softball game scheduled for that night, and I love to play softball, but I had already determined, you know, I ain't playing softball tonight. But as the game got closer, Jenny said to me, she said, hey, are you going to get ready to go to your game? Now, I thought it was a trick question, right? I mean, you know, men, you know, that she's just kind of putting me into that moment to test me a little bit and how I might respond. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to my game at all. I mean, you're, you're having contractions. She said, no, really, like it could be tomorrow. It could be Sunday. You know, it, you just go play your, your softball game and then come home. Well, we went back and forth a little bit because I thought it was just an extension of the test, you know, that she was, just, she was just after me. But yet she told me, go on to your game. So I went on to my game, but I, I would call every time I came back to the dugout and first inning, second, every inning progressively the contractions were getting worse that by the time the fifth inning came around she said yeah you need to come home and uh, thankfully we got mercy ruled so I, I erased home we lived two blocks from the hospital no joke all right so it was just a quick drive to the hospital we got there around seven Joel wasn't born until like 1.30 in the morning. We had plenty of time but can I just tell you there there was only one person that was making any effort in that delivery room by the time, you know, the baby was born. All right, moms, can I get an amen? Like you've been there, like you know, you know what it requires. Well, well here's the thing. There, there's a lot in these verses that we just went through, but, but here's what Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus see. What he's, what he's trying to communicate is that this powerful, life-changing work that God wants to accomplish in you and any of us, it's not something we accomplish all right, it's not something that we can do. It's something that God does. Like to be born again means to have your life radically forever changed by God. And this is where the struggle comes in for Nicodemus because remember, he's dedicated his entire life to getting it right, following all the rules. I suspect that he knows it's not working. All right, that there's an emptiness in him. And so no matter how hard he tries, he fails. And so Jesus, he's, he needs to undo this belief system in Nicodemus, helping him see that it's not because of what you do, but again, it's because of what God has done. And again, that's an important truth for Nicodemus to discover. It's good for all of us as well, that you don't enter the kingdom of God through your own effort or getting life right. It is the work of of God. It is by grace and it is through him. And Jesus mentions being born of water. And there are two basic views of what Jesus meant there. Like the first is that Jesus was referring to water baptism, which signifies repentance. In other words, like Jesus was showing him that in order to be born again, like you can't do that apart from repentance. And that's true. And it very well could have been on Jesus' mind in this moment. But others suggest that Jesus wasn't referring to water baptism here, but instead to an Old Testament passage that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. In fact, maybe had memorized. And it comes from the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, when we read these words that I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
And what, a, what an incredible picture of what God wants to accomplish in any of our lives. Because to be born again means to let God wash away your sins, those sins of your past, of your present, and the future sins. It, it means that God gives us a new heart. He has given us a new life, a new identity in him. Like it's God's goal to shape every single one of us and mold us so that we look more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And the good news is that he can do it for anyone. Like the good news is that he can do it for anyone. He can do it for you. Uh, he can do it for your mom who doesn't believe. He can do it for your dad. He can do it for your, your sister or your brother. He can do it for a, a friend, somebody that you've been praying for, a neighbor that you've been reaching out to. God, God can change the heart of your greatest enemy. He can do that. And do you know what? Even right now, you've got some Nicodemuses in your life. Uh, God's put some Nicodemuses in your life. God's been working on their heart, whether they realize it or not, and, and you get to be Jesus to them. You get to help them see what it means to live a part of God's family. Now, what's the bottom line for Nicodemus? Again, he needs to be born again, but this raises some questions still. Uh, in verse 9, how, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. It can also be translated, what do you mean by this? Like, how does this happen? And then Jesus, skipping over a few verses, comes to a couple of, well, they're interesting, all right, but, but just follow along with me. In verse 14, Jesus replies to him, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Jesus here is referring to an unusual event that comes out of the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 4, if you want to read that on your own later. But here's what was happening. The Israelites were on their way uh, through the wilderness, and they were grumbling and complaining to, to Moses and, and to God. And so as punishment, the Lord sent uh, these serpents, these snakes among them, and many were bitten, and they, were di and they died, and others who survived were convicted by their sin, but suffering from their wounds. And so they went to Moses to ask for forgiveness. Moses went to God on their behalf, and the Lord told Moses to take to, to fashion a bronze snake and put it up on a pole and to lift it up before the people and gave the instruction that everyone who looked to the snake on the pole would be, would, would, would be saved and they would live. Now, according to one scholar, Kent Hughes, he says it's both a picture of horror and glory all at the same time because the Israelites were poisoned by a venom that would kill them. But it's awesome in that God provides the cure. And how were the people saved from the snake bite? By looking at the bronze snake on the pole. All they had to do was look and they lived. And the snake is symbolic of sin Again, it was lifted on a pole for all to see. And in the same way, our Savior Jesus Christ took on our sin. And he was lifted up and hung on a cross for all the world to see. And he bore the venom of sin and he died for it once and for all so that we wouldn't have to. And the reality that everyone in this world and all of us listening today have to come to terms with is this that we're born into this world with, with the poison, the stain of, of sin on our lives. What, what we deserve is death. But our great God in his love provided a cure, a remedy for us in Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus died for your sin and he died for my sin and he defeated the the punishment of sin and death with his resurrection. And again, what's true for Nicodemus here is true for us as well. That new birth and eternal life comes when you think about it through a simple gaze of faith. It's turning and looking to Jesus. And that's important because maybe you've been hesitant about turning to Jesus because you don't feel like you have enough faith yet. Or you've got some questions still that have gone unanswered. Maybe you're hesitant to come to Jesus because you feel like you've got to prove yourself first or earn it. You've got to clean some things up in your life. I just want to tell you today that it's time to quit agonizing over it and recognize that you are saved by the power and the cross of Jesus Christ. And you are saved when you realize that Jesus died for your sin and that by him you are redeemed. And like with the Israelites many years ago, all you need to do is look to him and be saved forever. You know, John added some commentary to the end of the story here in chapter three. And I think he wanted to make sure, again, that Nicodemus didn't miss the point that we don't either. And in John chapter three, towards the ending, beginning in verse 16, we find maybe one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. Here's what John writes. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Emphasis on the word believe. What's our part? What do we bring to the table? when it comes to transformation and change and healing in our lives? Belief. Whatever belief we can muster. Even the simple gaze of faith of saying in this moment, I don't understand it all, but I am desperate for a cure. I am desperate for a remedy, a resolution that's been made available to us in Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Have you ever made a decision like that in your life? I want you to know today that it's the most important decision you can or will ever make in your entire life. There is nothing greater because one day we will all stand before Jesus Christ and the only thing that will matter is if you have put your faith and your trust in him. And the good news is that you can today, wherever you are, you know, even to those that are watching right now, And just with the simple gaze of faith. Because even as it's stirring in your heart right now, he knows. He knows. But if it's any help, we find words in our Bible that say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Is just even say with your own mouth, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I need his forgiveness in my life. And if at all any of you that maybe have already made a decision for Christ are wondering, well, what's it mean for me? Like I've already done this before. Maybe, maybe God has you here today to remind you of the power of his good news. 
And again, it's not something we accomplish on our own. It's only through him. And, and maybe that's an encouragement that you need today. I know that's a joy that I need God to well up in my heart every morning right now, that I am saved by Jesus Christ, that my hope is in him, and that is the only thing that matters. Friends, remember, God accepts you because of what he did for you and not because of what you or I do for him. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the power and the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that because of what he accomplished on the cross, that he became sin, even though he didn't know any sin, Lord, he became sin on our behalf and that through him and by you, Lord, we can be forgiven and be redeemed. Father, I pray that there are people all around this room right now, even those that are tuning in right now who are looking to you in faith, and some maybe for the first time, and I pray that you would draw them to yourself right now and they would know the power of what it means to be born again and of that life transformation and that we will never again be the same. Encourage us today, God. Um, increase in us a desire and passion to help others find their way back to God and give us the joy of knowing Jesus and modeling every part of our lives after him. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.